So welcome to Pro Talks, our podcast where we chat with CEOs and founders of some of the most interesting and influential asset management companies in the world. You know, in the past, that sort of data and information was probably only available to, uh, you know, uh, middle class, middle aged, uh, you know, white men, basically. Now it's, uh, that's changed a lot. Today we are here with Hector, Hector McNeil, CEO and co-founder of HoneyTF. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Hector, and it's a pleasure to be able to chat with you. Nice to see you. So, so yeah, so first of all, um, just tell us a bit about yourself and uh, what's your background and how did you end up in the financial sector? Yeah, no problem. So uh, when I came out of university, uh, I was quite inspired by my uh, brother-in-law. Uh, who'd moved from the north of England uh, to work in the city in London and uh, and he said it would suit me down to the ground. So when I was coming out of university, I applied for a uh, graduate traineeship at the uh, London Stock Exchange and I was lucky enough to get a position there. So I, uh, I started there uh, back in 1989, so it seems like uh, generations ago now, but uh, you know, it's uh, been a great, great journey and uh, my life sort of uh, moved into the uh, ETF world in early 2000s when I uh, when I was sort of uh, getting right into the uh, the uh, sort of product side of uh, of asset management and uh, ETFs were uh, basically in their very early stages so it was uh, somewhat fortuitous I got into it at that point uh, but prior to that you know I'd uh, worked at Morgan Stanley and Barclays Capital and uh, also the London Stock Exchange so uh, so I was primed to do something entrepreneurial at that point so after all the businesses you built um, why why did you decide uh, to build your I mean to build and focus on, on thematics ETFs? Yeah, so so I, I started my uh, career in ETFs, you know, at a firm called Susquehanna, who were an ETF market maker back in early 2000, and uh, you know from there after five years we built that to be the most successful ETF market maker in Europe, and uh, then I went to be one of the founders and owners of ETF Securities. Uh, I was a 10% owner there, and we invented uh, ETFs such as gold ETFs. We invented uh, platinum, palladium, uh, oil, all in the commodity space. And generally, we moved into the equity space after time. And uh, we took that business from zero to 36 billion at its peak. From there, I left uh, ETF Securities as an employee, but not as a shareholder, and set up a business called Boost ETP with my current business partner, Nick. So hand stands for Hector and Nick. So we've been together for nearly 18 years. Wow. We, yeah, I know. It's a long, long time. I worked married. I call it. Uh, Yeah, and we set up Boost, uh, which was a specialist short leverage firm. And then after about three years, we uh, we then got approached by WisdomTree, who wanted to come to Europe, but didn't have a team here. So we set up a business called WisdomTree Europe that we rolled uh, Boost into, and then we co-owned that with uh, with WisdomTree. And I think the common thread uh, to all those businesses before we get to uh, Han, which uh, funny enough stands for Hector and Nick, uh, so again reinforces the work marriage perspective but you know we'd always been in the sort of more value-added space in the ETF market you know we're not the uh, Eurostoxx 50 guys two basis points cheaper than the last group which you find most people in Europe do you know we've always been value-added whether it's you know short and leveraged ETFs or gold ETFs or uh, you know wisdom tree which was very uh, smart beta orientated you know so uh, you know we decided with 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 Han ETF that uh, you know we when we sit with a uh, asset manager or a gatekeeper a private bank and they say they're going to choose an ETF firm. You know, they say they've got 20 firms already. Why choose another one? You know, we wanted to be uh, different and not like the rest. So we want to be the value added uh, ETF issuer. 
And I always liken us to, um, you know, if uh, iShares is Walmart, where, you know, you can pretty much buy everything. Probably not the best, but it's good enough. And it's a big big, uh, big price battle. You know, we're more like the Whole Foods, the value added, you know, this the mm-hmm. special type uh, products. So, yeah, what's been really nice is that, you know, since we launched uh, Hand three years ago, you know, we've now got the most expansive range of thematic ETFs uh, in Europe. And we've also got the uh, most liquid crypto uh, products. Um, and I think that's one of the byproducts of... Uh, and ETFs, uh, white label business model, you know, where we work with third party asset managers, bring their products to market is that pretty much people want to bring the here and now, you know, the most on trend uh, ETFs, you know, because our time to market's a little over 10 weeks, you know, so we can get things to market very quickly, you know, so people can lead into that. So that's where I think thematics makes a lot of sense because that's been the big trend in the market over the last couple of years and probably got a long way to go as well. And uh, so with all your experience, have you seen like a change in the in the profiles of people? Like you see many Gen Z and millennials involved in investing now, investing through ETFs. How do you see like the, the, the investment market changing in terms of like in a generational way? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. You know, I think that, um, you know, what, what I've really noticed about the ETF market over the uh, 20 odd years that I've been in is, is that US really leads the way. And uh, the US, you know, is about 50% retail and, uh, you know, the 50% professional, you know, divided by private banks and wealth managers and institutional clients, pension funds, etc. You know, Europe, you know, was for a long time a purely professional market, you know, probably retail only accounting for about 10% of participation in the ETF markets. And I think you've hit the nail on the head there, you know, that's changed uh, over time, you know, and I always, I always liken it to my, my family, really. I always say that, you know, my, my son, who's you know 20 years old, he's never going to uh, own a checkbook. He's never going to fill forms in. He certainly isn't going to wait, wait, wait a few weeks to find the price of a product, you know, which is obviously the, the land of mutual funds. Mm-hmm. You know, so, um, you know, uh, ETFs are the closest thing that he's going to get to Amazon Prime gratification. You know, if he's on the train in the morning and he wants to buy France but sell Germany, you know, he can do that as soon as the market opens at eight o'clock. And if he wants to then adjust his portfolio again, he can do it, you know, milliseconds mm-hmm. or, or whatever later. And, it, and it's all in one place. You know, it's not on uh, different websites. You know, they can hold it in his, in his, in his uh, you know, uh, Schwab account or, uh, or his free trade, etc. And then I think what's really interesting uh, over the last few years is, uh, you know, there's been a massive rise of uh, the sort of Robin Hood type uh, brokers out there, you know, who are offering commission free trading, fractional trading, you know, so people can trade a couple of shares, you know, and it make it, and, it, and it's cost effective. They're not getting hit clobbered by large commission charges. You know, when you've seen companies like 212 Trading or, or Free Trade in Europe, you know, offering app-based trading and uh, ways for people to get there. And I think, you know, when you mentioned millennials, et cetera, I think 20 mm-hmm. up are actually able now to get access to the market very easily. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, even these, these great ideas like Acorn in the US where, you know, when you go for a coffee, you know, it costs you $1.89 and, you know, you get the option to put the other 11 cents into your savings account. Yeah, and, I heard uh, about you know, that. I think yeah. those are massively liberating. And, uh, yeah, yeah. What's really cool is I think ETFs are the most democratic, you know, uh, uh, instrument you can get. You know, I always, uh, again, use my family. I, I like my mum in Middlesbrough who at 82 can, for the first time in her life, go and buy medical cannabis. You know, we created the first mm-hmm. medical cannabis ETF in Europe and, she can buy one share for £10 and put it in her ISA and SIP, you know, and, uh, you know, she's got a view on that. You know, it's, uh, it's, 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 you know, she's probably got more of a view on that than a lot of the technical products we offer out there in the ETF world, like, you know, value or growth or whatever. That means nothing to her. 
Mm-hmm. Got a view on um, you know generally what thematics are about, and she can make that decision. So everybody from my you know my my kids through to my uh, my mum, you know uh, it's a generational thing that they can do that. And I always say that the great thing about ETFs is that uh, my mum can get the same price uh, you know management fee that uh, you know buying ten shares that uh, Fidelity can get for buying two million shares. Right. So mm-hmm. uh, very very democratic from that perspective. Very liberating. I really like that. I mean, I really like the idea of democratization, the, the democratization of, of investment that you get through through ETFs, and and yeah, so um, making investment accessible to people is one of your goals at, at Honey ETF. And you just mentioned you just mentioned that. Would you say that uh, creating that interest on people that perhaps never thought about I'm gonna invest my money in this? And they see these accessible now to them is like a success. Like, would you consider that a success? Chief? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think what's I mean, you, you mentioned thematics earlier. You know, what I what I really like about those is that um, you know, uh, I mean, we've just been through a horrific you know couple of years with COVID and work from home and such like you know, and uh, you know, we we brought the first medical uh, sorry the first uh, cloud technology ETF mm-hmm. uh, out of the marketplace and. Uh, Quite clearly, everybody started using Zoom or Teams or whatever, you know, and uh, immediately uh, people have a view and say, well, look, you know, in 20 years, that industry is going to be enormous. You know, how do I get uh, exposure to it? You know, or, or it even motivates people as well, right? You know, whether it's on, on message boards or, you know, on Twitter or uh, or uh, Instagram or whatever, you know, this, this, this discussion happens in milliseconds now around the world, right? You know, and... Mm-hmm. Uh, You know, in the past, that sort of data and information was probably only available to, uh, you know, uh, middle class, mm-hmm. middle aged, uh, you know, white men, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now it's, uh, that's changed a lot. And, uh, you know, I think there's, I think that's a really, really exciting uh, time. I mean, you know, I often class myself as uh, an ETF Mooney, you know, uh, <laughs> a, a sort of cultish uh, advocate <laughs> of the, uh, of the, of the, of the wrapper uh, of the instrument. And, uh, You know, I think uh, if you look at any academic studies, uh, most of it on investment, you know, uh, a lot of the uh, returns and uh, growth of your portfolios is sucked out by fees, you know, high fees. And, uh, you know, if you look at the classical mutual fund world, you know, the uh, the, the fee profile can be anywhere from one and a half to three percent fees. You know, when you can get the equivalent in ETF land uh, for 50 basis points, half a percent. You know, when you look at that 1% uh, compounded over, over say, 40 years in a pension, you know, your pension will be worth like two to three times as much just by saving that 1% fees every uh, every year, you know. So uh, so I think it's, uh, you know, almost incumbent on everybody in the industry to get on the program with ETFs mm-hmm. and realize that they are so democratic and they cost, they, you know, they, they cost so much less than other vehicles and they give a lot of uh, freedom and uh And uh, flexibility to uh, to investors to uh, take control of their uh, finances. And to say the U.S., you know, shows the way. I mean, people are much more active in managing mm-hmm. their own uh, investment and wealth in the U.S. Uh, than we are here. You know, and I think we can learn a lot from that. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, a lot of people, I think, you know, the, the biggest investments, you know, particularly in Britain, uh, even though I, I sort of class as a, as a honey as a European business, I class as that. But, um, you know, most people have their wealth either in houses or in their pension, you know, and I think people are very passive when it comes to pensions, you know, they sort of trust their company, you know, they probably use the first provider that comes to them, 
mm-hmm. you know, uh, and you know, with the advent of things like self-invested pensions, you know, you can take a lot of control over that. And uh, and I think you know, Europe's probably been a little bit uh, slower in, in the US in terms of uh, adopting model portfolios, where uh, you know, uh, there's been plenty of provision for free model portfolios being provided in the US that are ETF only, you know, but they but they do the job that a wealth manager or private banker would do, but at a fraction mm-hmm. of the cost. And I think when we get that sort of ecosystem developing in Europe, I think we'll catch the US quite rapidly. Because if you look at Europe, we're a similar wealth profile, similar demographic, but our population is twice as big as the US. You know, our ETF market's 1.6 trillion, theirs is 7 trillion. You know, so we've got a lot of catching up to do. But I think once we start to get the tools in place, you know, I think it'll be very, very straightforward and easy for us to catch them up. Because I think, you know, the same problems and challenges, you know, they have over there, we have here, you know. And I think that uh, with the advent, as I say, of social media and, uh, and uh, you know, the internet, uh, you know, information is travels so much more quickly than it used to. So mm-hmm. trends and, uh, you know, uh, move, movement from ideas from the US to here can happen in, you know, days and weeks rather than uh, months and years so so mm-hmm. i think it's really exciting times actually really exciting do you think as well like just thinking about this that people have started to have like more like financial court culture as well like be more like uh, interested in in finances like their own finances and and see how they can save money get their best interest in their money do you think that has been also a change Yeah, I, th- I think so. I mean, I mean, what, what's what's really noticeable, I think, is you've got you know rock star company owners now, right? You know, like mm-hmm. uh, Elon Musk and uh, mm-hmm. even somebody like Warren Buffett. You know, you look at the age of the guy. You know, but uh, there's probably you know uh, economics graduates and uh, MBAs who follow that guy, mm-hmm. right? You know, and uh, you've got a lady called Kathy Wood in the uh, active world in the US who set the world alight as well. You know, and what's really interesting, you know, I went to uh, an off-site uh, for the sort of leaders in the ETF industry in Colorado mm-hmm. uh, late last year. And uh, what really struck me about the US industry generally in asset management over here is the amount of people who are uh, selling uh, uh, investment products now over social media mm-hmm. you know, and uh, very much integrating with the uh, with with influencers and uh, actually many of them becoming influencers themselves, you know, that, uh, you know, many, uh, many people were hiring people to be investment managers or uh, You know, or a marketing staff, you know, who've got 50,000 to 500,000 Twitter followers, for example, you know, and they can get their message out very quickly. I mean, there's a there's a couple of guys in the US who, you know, they, they live cast their webinars on Twitter, you know, and rather than getting, you know, if you're lucky, 100 people on a uh, on a webinar, you know, they're getting thousands of people mm-hmm. interacting with their content, you know. So I think that's going to be a really interesting way the world can develop. And uh And I think that's what makes it more accessible and interesting for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, FinTwit on Twitter, you know, uh, kids can sign up to that very early. You know, there's lots of trading games out there for them to do that. You know, um, I mean, it's 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 it's, it's definitely much more interesting and accessible. But I, what, what I do feel is that it's still a very middle class and uh, upper class uh, uh, end of the world. I and mean, I always think that, um, you know, one of the shames of uh, London, you know, I, I do a bit of work in uh, in uh you know the outer london schools uh, mm-hmm. particularly in sport and uh, i talk to them sometimes about um, you know uh, uh the city of london you know and uh, they, they, they live no more than seven or eight miles away from the city of london and i have no idea that it exists and it's oh, wow. you know uh, whereas 
you know, if you've got kids who've got a private school in the England, in England and uh, middle to upper class, you know, their dads probably work, but mum and dad's probably work at Goldman Sachs or Deutsche Bank or whatever, and they know it. You know, they they mm -hmm. know that when they look for internships, they get those and such like. So uh, you know, the, the the ordinary state school kid in uh, you know in, in North London or South London, you know, probably doesn't know this even exists. And I think mm -hmm. that uh, you know that that that's what I would like to see more of in the long term is to get that a that talent pool. But also educating those people on, uh, you know, as we said before, you know, if you go and buy a coffee and you can invest the 11 pence in, in uh, you know, or, or creaming, creaming off the top, your investments, you know, that, that that's where we need to be democratise it. But democratisation's both on the knowledge and the experience, and that's what mm -hmm. we need to really educate uh, people on, I think, all the time. Yeah, I think that probably that could be more like as well in the way of like, uh, making the financial industry more accessible to it, to it like any backgrounds. I think that is that is changing a lot as well. Yeah. Like, but yeah, it's still like a, a long way to, to get there. There, yeah. and also I wanted I was very very interested as well. Like, um, I you told me as well. Like, and I found it really interesting that one of your first businesses was a rugby team. Do you still apply that kind of? Um, managing a sports team philosophy in, into your business or, or do you think it's like very different it's very similar i don't know tell me a bit yeah, about well, that. I, I think there's, there's 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 similarities and and differences you know uh -huh. yeah. but i think they i think you can learn lots of things from both sides of it you know i think the business side that i've developed over the years has definitely helped me in setting up the professional team you know running it for 25 years you know we, and, and you know one of the one of the biggest, most proudest things I, I have with it is we never owed anybody a penny and we never went bust in that time. And you find a lot of, uh, you know, lower league sports teams uh, struggle for money and at some point will uh, will go bust and then rely on the fans to uh, to dig them out, you know. And we never mm -hmm. had to do that, you know, in 25 years. And, uh, you know, we also took lots of kids, you know, we were in uh, the uh, Tottenham area of, uh, of uh, London and uh, mm -hmm. it's the you know in the top five most deprived areas of uh, the uk you know a lot of uh, a lot of uh, immigrant uh, or second you know first or second generation immigrant kids you know the school we used to, uh, we used to be over the side of the road from our stadium you know taught mm -hmm. uh, you know had kids who, who spoke 50 different languages in the uh, in the school you know but we took uh, hundreds of those kids and turned them into professional players you know and, and oh, wow. went, went even further than our uh, our club you know into the sort of super league and and, and first division gave them careers really at the end of the day and uh, and i think that's really uh, really what it's all about is, is opportunities but but you know the disciplines the business disciplines of uh, you know you've got to make more money than you, you spend you know and uh, you've got to find different ways to uh, you know make money from the assets that you have you know and, and i think from the from the rugby side you know uh, i think the community aspect and mm -hmm. the uh, teamwork is is stuff we can you, you know use a lot in business i mean you know, uh, as I mentioned to you before, you know, we, we've set up four ETF businesses from scratch. You know, we're the only mm -hmm. team in the world that set up four ETF businesses. I mean, we've, we've issued, uh, you know, just under 600 products in that time, which is about 9% of the world's total, which is which is insane when I think about it. You know, mm -hmm. and, uh, about 45 billion of assets and uh, listing in 23 countries. You know, but I think, that, you know, the, the heart of all that uh, has been the ability to pull a team together you know, uh, and be able to build the business, retain the team, and then and then basically, uh, you know, uh, maximize the uh, potential of mm -hmm. the business through the team. 
Um, and what's really, uh, really interesting is, you know, I go to uh, many industry events now and, and I, I often think that quarter of the room has been to uh, the University of Hector and Nick, you know, because I've either worked for, for either of us, you know, in the last 20 years and are now working for the likes of Vanguard and BlackRock and Deutsche mm -hmm. Bank and such like, you know, and I often say that actually when I recruit people that, you know, we give them a, a free MBA when they come onto the, uh, the business. And, and, and I often use um, our head coaches uh, from the club to come in and talk to the staff or, or to, the, to my clients and talk about how they see the world uh, from a management perspective. And, mm -hmm. You know, talking about how they prepare, not just the game, but how do they prepare for that game during the week? You know, what, mm -hmm. what are they talking to their client, uh, to their, um, uh, you know, players from a psychological perspective, from, a, you know, from a health and welfare perspective. I mean, mental health uh, is coming hugely mm -hmm. into sport. I think generally in society, but particularly into sport in the last sort of five to 10 years. And, uh, you know, it's very hard for sportsmen that, uh, you know, that have a lot of time on their hands. And uh, if they get injured, you know, they're off the pitch, they're not playing, mm -hmm. you know, and that's what they really want to be doing at the end of the day. Um, and I think the mental health side has been really interesting for me as well, you know, to sort of apply that to, to, uh, to the work uh, environment. And, and what I've noticed is, is a lot of, of uh, the younger generation now actually do seem to suffer quite, quite badly uh, mm -hmm. from that, uh, from mental health issues. A lot of it around confidence or, or social media or, or various, you know, lots of different things. And I think that's, you know, the, the rugby side of it has helped me, uh, helped me bring that to both sides. So I think there's a lot to learn from uh, the business and sport. I mean, you only see this now, I mean, in your country, you know, you've got two of the business, biggest businesses in the world, Barcelona and Real Madrid, right? You know, and, uh, you know, the, the, there's 11 guys on the pitch on the weekend, but uh, there's there's hundreds of thousands of people behind the scenes, mm -hmm. you know, uh, doing that, you know. So I think it's, uh, there's, you know, it's, it's definitely morphed into that world. I mean, I'd love to do a football ETF, for example. I'd love to do that at some point. But, you know, there just probably isn't enough football clubs who are listed yet. But at some point there will be, and I'd love to be able to do that, for sure. I mean, that sounds fun. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I'm also, I mean, I'm, I'm also really interested about the, the mental health side because it's true, like, it has become, like, a, especially since pandemic and everything, it has become, mm. like, a very, I mean, a, a big focus for, for every company. Uh, and in the set management industry as well. And I think that is very important because at the end of the day, you know, we are human beings and and yeah. it's, it's important to give like everything, um, I don't know, uh, up to date, we would say. Yeah, yeah. Well, I always, like, I always say to my, my team, when people get stressed and upset or whatever, I look say, we're not, we're not doctors and nurses, you know, nobody dies by what we do, so. You know, we just need to take a deep breath and, uh, you know, look at the reality. We're, we're essentially paper pushers, you know, so we're not, yeah. you know, no, um, there's no criticality or life-saving scenario. So I uh, just say to people, just put it into context, you know, and uh, yeah. I, I think the, I think what, what's really been interesting for me in the pandemic is the work from home scenario. I was, I was really not a fan of it before, uh, before the pandemic. You know, I always mm -hmm. thought that people would be sitting in their pajamas till 12 o'clock every day and you know, doing two hours, logging on and, you know, uh, <laughs> doing anything but work, you know, but, but I'm a total convert, total convert to it. And, uh, and I think actually it's quite helpful from a mental health perspective because, you know, particularly in cities like London where you waste two hours a day on a, on a train or, mm -hmm. uh, or a tube, you know, that's packed, cube, yeah. and, you know, uh, under, under, you know, so, so you can take some of the stresses and strains away from work, you know, I mean, I think we'll move to a, to more of a hybrid, uh, model, you know, with some time in the office and, 
you know, some time out of the office and uh, have a lot of flexibility. And I think that uh, that will help, I think, for people's mental health. What I have found, though, I don't know if you've, you've found this, but I found with younger guys in the teams, they want to come in the office because their social life actually is largely driven by uh, going for a drink after work or yeah, uh, it's true. Thursday and Fridays or whatever. You, you, yeah. you lived in London, so you know how big yeah. Thursdays and Fridays are. And I think that's really quite interesting to see those guys actually do want to come in the office you know more than and i suppose where they're living as well they're probably sharing houses that don't have a lot of uh you know uh, uh yeah space other than their bedrooms or whatever so they probably do want to get out and see the world again so uh so i think from that perspective it's uh you know it's quite interesting uh to see so you know i i think the challenge for businesses is we just have to remain flexible listen to people mm -hmm. listen to what they want you know and then uh, and then obviously you know try and uh you know, give them the technology and the uh, to enable that, and uh, and also the space to uh, to express themselves in it. So, but I think you can get a lot out of that. Get a lot out of that for sure. So I think that that is really interesting, and and I agree with you. I think part of the of the life in London, um, maybe I'm just romanticizing it now because it's far away from me. But it's true, like. Uh, when you go and you work like in the center of the city and then you meet friends that perhaps like live far from you, but they all work in the city or they all work like in central London and you can meet afterwards for a drink. Yeah. That's kind of nice. And obviously when you are at home, like then maybe you finish from work at six and then it's more difficult for you to go to central London and have yeah. a drink. So, so yeah, I agree with you with that. And so we are getting to the end of the, of the conversation. I just want to ask you like, um, if you have any advice for anyone, wanting to start a career in finance? Yeah, I think, look, I think the, uh, uh, you know, the, the key thing to start in finance is do your homework, figure out what side you want to want to do. I mean, I have a friend who, uh, when his daughter was looking, she wanted to get into marketing in, in finance and, uh, and he said to her, well, there's lots of different uh, worlds in marketing, which bit do you want to do? And in the end, what he encouraged her to do, and he helped her out and asked his friends, and you know, she did she did some digging around, and she actually did a week uh, internship or a few days in different areas of marketing, you know, from PR to advertising to, mm -hmm. you know, uh, uh, events, etc. And then she found a bit that she really liked, and other areas she 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 thought she liked before, but when she did them, she hated them. So, you know, I think it's really about getting uh, you know getting a little bit of experience, you know, doing a bit of homework. You know, and uh, and see what you can do from there, and uh, and really at the end of the day, I think if you've got passion, mm -hmm. and you you know you uh, as I say, there's a ton of information out there now, whether it's you know on social media or you know it's uh, you know you can read it in books or whatever. You know, there's a ton of stuff, podcasts. You know, so uh, I would just do your work and uh, and figure it out from there. And then I think if you get the opportunity, smash it, take it with two hands. You know, uh, show the person you know what you're made of. You know, and uh, and you know, do your best, and I think uh, that's all we can really ask uh, kids today. And uh, hopefully, I mean, I mean, I, I probably take uh, probably two or three interns every uh, every year. You know, and I don't take them from Oxbridge. You know, I, I usually from a personal network. Actually, you know, like somebody will have a, you know, uh, I mean, my, my uh, head of marketing actually hired her babysitter uh, okay. once, which uh, and she turned out to be one of the best hires we could have. I mean, she had a great academic background. You know, uh, you know, so uh, so I think if you give people a chance, you know, they uh, they do really well. You know, so I think it's really about finding that uh, that area you want to focus on and taking it from there, really. I think that is a very good advice. And and yeah, so 
We got to the end. Thank you so much, Hector. It was a really nice conversation. Hope you have enjoyed as well uh, the chat. Certainly did. Always a pleasure to speak to you for sure. And, and for everyone listening, we'll be back in two weeks. And uh, follow us on social media and subscribe to our, newsle- to our newsletter to be up to date. And uh, see you in two weeks. Bye. Many thanks.